our topic tonight out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6. Blow the shofar. Starting ver- uh, just setting the scene, Jeremiah 1, verse 1, it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Helkiah, the Kohanim, who were in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Amnon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. So that tells us a lot uh, in the setting that we're at, that Jeremiah was a Kohen, uh, that he was uh, uh, part of the priesthood, the temple priesthood. Uh, he landed, la- lived in Benjamin, came out of Benjamin, and that he lived during the time of Josiah. And in the 13th year of Josiah's reign is when he began to prophesy. And Josiah, when he was in his eighth year of his reign, in his 16th year of his life, he dedicated his life to the Lord and began to seek the Lord with all his heart. And then in the 16th year of his reign, um, he uh, cleaned out the temple and began to rededicate the temple and remodel the temple and take out the idols and put in um, um, and found the, the Ark of the, Co- the, uh, the Torah and began to read it and held the Passover. So that would be in the third year of Jeremiah's prophesying. So we see the two of them, um, Jeremiah obviously having an influence on King Josiah and the reforms that King Josiah did. So in the timeline, again, they're both living at the same time. Uh, Jeremiah there at the end, Josiah there, just one of the last kings of Judah before Babylon comes through long after the northern kingdom of Israel was taken captive for the most part um, by the Assyrians. Some people left in northern Israel. So now to chapter 6. O you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the shofar. Set up a signal fire, for disaster appears out of the north and great destruction. So Jeremiah is prophesying uh, what we know from history few years after this, um, in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah was still alive when Babylon comes in and attacks, destroys the temple, and takes uh, the majority of uh, Judah, Judah, Benjamin, the Levites, and all those living in the southern kingdom uh, captive to Babylon. And so he's predicting it here, and he's predicting it with a blow the shofar. Use the shofar as a warning. Use the shofar as a wake-up call to warn the people of disaster to come or judgment to come. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is about. It's a wake-up call to get ready, to get prepared, because the time of Yom Kippur, the day of judgment, is just upon us. And so he also here is using that imagery below the shofar. Shofars were used for announcing times of worship, for the, for the, for the holy days, for the feast, for the Shabbat, for also for times of war. Uh, making a certain sound, war. And, and so both are preparation, preparation for spiritual warfare, spiritual prayer, spiritual uh, protection, or in the case of physical war, preparation, getting ready, and going to battle. So both defensively and offensively in both cases. So the warning for us, the call for us, is to get ready, and destruction is going to come upon this earth as well. And so the whole thing with Babylon just foreshadows the day that we are living in today. Verse 2, he says, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. So God's people, 
give an analogy as a woman, and we'll see here in these other te next text uh, why he uh, looks at it that way. But he, he makes the analogy of, of God's people as a, as a beautiful woman, that he is God's bride. It should be the daughter of Zion. Verse 6, the Lord of hosts says, cut down the trees, build a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. As a fountain wells up with water, so she wells up with her wickedness. Violence and plundering are ahead of her in her. Before me continually are grief and wounds. And so he sees the city, he sees the people, he sees the nation as uh, with, the, with the, the female attributes. And so he calls Zion, his people, like a woman, but a woman that he is not pleased with. Verse 8, be instructed, Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make it desolate, a land not inhabited. And so he's predicted destruction, but he's also laying out, God speaking through Jeremiah, letting out an appeal to the people, giving them hope that there is a way to, to divert the coming destruction. Be instructed. Learn. And not just learning for the head, but learn. Be instructed in the way, taught in the way, trained in the way that we should go. And if we refuse the instruction, God's soul departs from us and he will make the land desolate, uninhabited. Yes, yes, my Lord will depart from you. God's presence would depart from us. If we reject him, if we refuse to be instructed in his ways. Verse 10, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. And he's just describing the natural na nature of, of humanity. Our natural state. We have no delight in God's word. We have no delight in hearing from him. That's not natural for us to want to hear him. It's a miracle of God that gives us an attraction for God's word. Gives us an attraction for God. Because our natural state is against God enmity against God. It's hatred towards God. That's how we're born. We're born with a natural hatred towards God. A child needs to be instructed. A child needs to be trained. People say, well, we'll just raise the children with nothing, and when they're adult, they'll make their own decision. No, they're going to make a decision against God. They have to be trained. They have to be instructed. And we have to train ourselves. We have to be open to God's word. We have to be humble to listen to him and allow him to do his miracle in us of changing our hearts and giving us a heart after him. To allow him to circumcise our ears, to cut off the, what's blocking our ears from hearing him speak to us. To allow him to cut off the carnal heart out of us and allow him to write his laws into us. Allow him to put his spirit into us. I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. This is Jeremiah now speaking. And we see this throughout Jeremiah's writings. He's called the, the, uh, the weeping prophet. He, he, and he's got burning in his soul to share. He's got 
fury in, of the Lord in him, and he's tired of holding it in. He wants to share it with others. And when we have the burden of the Lord upon us, when we see the destruction that is going to come upon this world, when we realize it and really take it in and believe God's word of what it says, and understand the calamities that are going to take place, the war scenes that we, we see on the news now in, in various parts of the world, they'll be worldwide. And we need to warn people because utter destruction is coming. We should be weary of holding it in. When we have God's heart, when we have God's love for other people, we cannot hold it in. We have to tell other people. It's like having a cure for some deadly disease and holding it in to just to yourself when you know people are dying and suffering by the disease. How could we hold it in? How could we not tell people about the solution? That's how Jeremiah felt. He's filled with the fury of the Lord. The zeal of the Lord is upon him. And he's tired of holding it in any longer. They've also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is a very prophetic line. This is a very applicable line to today. Where Jeremiah is filled with fury and burden and weary of holding it in and wants to tell the people of the other destruction that is coming. And people are fearful. People can sense it. People can see it. And he's got a solution and he's got a way out. Instruction in the word of the Lord. And instead of... And, and the other leaders and... The other so-called prophets, the other so-called teachers, instead of instructing people in the right way, in warning of, of the sins, in warning them about the destruction to come, instead of in leading them in God's way and leading them in God's law and leading them in God's word, instead they just would have put a Band-Aid over it. And so they heal the hurt of my people slightly. Not completely, not truly, not to the depths of it. Just a little facade over it. By saying, peace, peace, don't worry about it. Don't, everything's going to be all right. We've got it all under control. Everything's going to be good. You're okay, I'm okay, just love one another. Then there were your ear, hands in your fingers in your ears. Sing kumbaya. Everything's going to be good. Peace and safety. And if that's not enough, here, take some drugs, drink some alcohol, and uh, we're all going to be good. It's all going to be good. Bechayim to life. And peace and safety. When really there is no peace. So there's a temporary feeling of peace. Gives them a temporary security, temporary healing. Give them a little bit of happiness. When really, destruction is coming upon this world. And then they'll be taken over with a flood. Then when reality hits, it hits hard. Like taking you know, the warning light on your car starts flashing, or the, 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 the gas gauge going down and the little light comes on saying you're running out of gas 
And so you just take a piece of masking tape and just cover up the light. You feel a lot better. Car is still running. Go down the road a little bit more. Over the bridge, no problem. Not bothering me anymore. Healed my guilty conscience slightly. And you run out of gas. Car breaks down. Ignoring the problem. And that's what we're good at today. Medical profession, they don't want to get to the cure. They don't want to get to the problem. Just masking over the symptoms. You have a fever, the body's trying to tell you something. It's trying to burn out some virus or, or some infection or something like that. You say, oh, just bring the, we'll just give you this pill and it'll just bring the temperature down. But your body doesn't want to bring the temperature down. The body wants to burn out the problem that's in there. We just deal with symptoms. We're not dealing with problems. You got high blood pressure? No problem. Take this pill. It'll lower your blood pressure. But what's the problem that caused the blood pressure to go up? We're not dealing with the problem. We're not facing the issue. You got a blocked artery? No problem. We'll just bypass it. Not deal with what caused it to get clogged in the first place? It's going to cause the, the new one to get clogged also? You just mask the problem. Politicians lying and smooth talks, wonderful promises. It heals us for a little while. Gives us a little bit of hope for a little while. Religious know better. Don't worry, everything's okay. Everything's all right. We're all okay. We're all going to go to the same place. We're all going to heaven. Everything's good. Don't worry. God's so loving, he won't worry about that. Can't trust the word, it's old anyway. Whatever you feel, as long as you have loving feelings, as long as you have good feelings, as long as you have positive thoughts, that's all that counts. Healing the hurts slightly. And a judgment is coming. And God will not be mocked. Verse 15, the next verse, tells us how we're going to be judged. We, they, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. Why? Because they were told peace and safety. They were not ashamed at all, nor did they know how to even blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fail, fall, and at the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. They have no guilt, continuing in their abominations and continuing in their sins, because they've been told it's okay. God approves of it. You were made that way, and God created you, so it must be okay. If it feels good, do it. Healing the hurts of my people slightly. Saying peace and safety when there is no peace. When utter destruction and utter judgment is going to come upon this world. So we drown out the conscience, having noise all the time, having music all the time, or the TV playing all the time, or something always bombarding our mind so we don't hear the still small voice of God. Blocking out the conscience. No, we're not ashamed of the abominations done in the land. But we should be ashamed. We should be ashamed. God sees. And God will judge. And wrong is still wrong and right is still right. 
There is a right and there is a wrong, and God has shown it to us. And God has given us a solution. God has given us a way to heal the true hurts. God has given us a solution to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is the carnal heart. The root of the problem is not God's law. The root of the problem is not God's word. The root of the problem is not guilt. Guilt is the warning sign. Guilt is the flashing light. Guilt is the high blood pressure. Guilt is the fever. Guilt is the warnings that there's a problem. Guilt is good because it tells us we're doing something wrong. And then God gives us a solution. He has given us the Messiah. He has given us forgiveness. He's taken our guilt upon himself. He has paid the price for us to release us of that guilt. And if we confess the sin, not ignore the sin, not deny the sin, but confess the sin, he will forgive the sin. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he will remove the carnal heart that desires to do wrong, that is resistant to God's word, that doesn't like him. He removes that and he gives us his heart. He does a miraculous transformation in us. And he gives us a love for those things we once hated, and he gives us a hatred for those things we once loved. The things that were wrong, that our carnal nature loved, he gives us a hatred for it. It's an absolute miracle. And the word of God and the spiritual things that our carnal nature abhorred, he gives us a love for those things. It's a miracle of God. As miraculous as a caterpillar wanting to suck nectar out of a tree. Caterpillars don't do that. Caterpillars eat leaves. They kill trees. They kill plants. But God changes them, turns them into butterflies. And then they want the nectar and they pollinate other, I don't know, the nectar, whatever. They get in there, they get in the flower, they get it all over them, and then they go to the other flowers and they spread it. A change and a transformation takes place. And that's what God does to us. He changes us from plant killers to plant pollinators. Instead of destroying the plant, we spread the plant. And that's what he does to us. We're born as killers. And then when he transforms us, he makes us savers, helping people. Instead of bringing people down, we build people up. Instead of resisting God, we love God. Instead of running away from God, we embrace God. It's a miracle of God. It's the solution. But we're, we're told lies. Don't worry, it's not sin anymore. It's okay now. Times have changed. That's not the solution. The solution is facing it, confessing it, being ashamed of it, and letting God cleanse it, and accepting his sacrifice in our behalf. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old path where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. God gives us a solution. And what do we say? We will not walk in it. We don't want to walk in that way. We don't want your good path. We don't want rest for our souls. We want our own rest. We don't want your Sabbath rest. We want to rest on vacation. We want to do it our way. We don't want the old paths, we want the new paths. We're tired of hearing the old, old story. We're resistant to it. Because one, the carnal nature, and two, the carnal nature and teachers have taught us carnal ways. 
He invites us to be instructed. He invites us to see and to stand in the way and walk in the right paths. Listen to hear and then to do. To believe and then act. But the choice is ours. But they said we will not walk in it. It's a conscious choice. And that's what it comes down to. The choices that we make. Again, that's what Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur is all about. God will hold us accountable to the choices that we make. I have set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the shofar, the warning signs in the world around us. But we said, we will not listen. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to know about it. Don't tell me I've got a flat tire. Don't tell me I'm running out of gas. Don't tell me there's a problem in my life. I don't want to hear it. Don't convict me. Just tell me smooth, soothing words. You're great. You were created for wonderful things. You're going to be better than ever. We can't build up until we first tear down. You can't paint over peeling paint and think the new paint's going to stay on there long. You can't build walls on crumbling foundation. And we are crumbling foundations. We have to be renewed. We have to be made new. The whole thing has to be torn down. The whole house has to be torn down so a new creature can be built up. Not just encouraging the old carnal nature. Changing the thinking, changing the heart, changing the mind. And that's the miracle of God. And it can only come as we surrender to him and ask him to do it in us. Knowledge our utter inability to change our own ways. Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you you've taken my carnal heart into yourself. Thank you that you died, that it killed you instead of me. Thank you that you're still alive and you want to give me your heart. I receive it. I accept it. Listen and hear the shofar. Listen and hear the sound of God. Hear the call of God. And again, they chose. They said, we will not. It was a choice. Listen to the signs taking place in the world around us. Destruction is coming upon this world. Things are taking place so rapidly. Morals are dropping so quickly. Wrong is being deemed right, and right is being deemed wrong at such a rapid pace. Greedy countries are taking over place after place. No one is stopping them. So-called UN is supposed to be there to monitor the world and bring peace to the world. They're just the opposite filled with despots ruling it. Verse 18, Therefore hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. That's the bottom line. We resist God's law. 
We reject God's laws. We reject God's ways. We don't heed his words. And not only don't we heed it, but we reject it. Rejection it, rejecting it means a conscious choice was made not to receive it. And thus we will be held accountable for rejecting God's love. And that's what it takes. God's love and God's grace has been poured out so powerfully and so completely that his sacrifice was already done for us and given to us freely. The only way we can be lost is rejecting it. Rejecting his mercy, rejecting his forgiveness, and rejecting his law. Some people want, oh, yeah, I want heaven. But if the law comes along with it, then I don't want it. I just want the fruit from the tree of life. I want to live forever. A lot of people want to live forever. I think it was Woody Allen. He said he didn't want to gain immortality by, uh, by his acting and fame. He wanted to gain immortality by not dying. But all will die, and all will be held accountable. And judgment will come, and the judgment will be based on God's law, whether we have rejected it or whether we have accepted it. Because it's the law that brings conviction. And if we reject his law, then how can we be convicted that we've done anything wrong? And if we don't believe we've done anything wrong because we've rejected his law, then we will say, I don't feel guilty. I haven't done any abominations. I haven't done anything wrong. And if we can't admit that we've done anything wrong, then how can we go for cleansing? Then how can we receive salvation? And how can we receive forgiveness of sins if we don't believe we've committed any sins? So it starts with the law. If we reject the law, then we can't have grace. If we reject the law, we don't need a savior. And if we don't have a savior, then we don't have salvation. It's the law that leads us to the savior. And then the savior cleanses us, changes us, and then fills us with his law. Thus it begins to be lived out of us. So it leads us to the savior, and then the savior lives it out of us. Verse 20, for what purpose to me comes frankincense and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings and are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. What do those all represent? What is the offerings? What's the burnt offerings? What's the sacrifices? Forgiveness of sins. It represents the lambs of God. It represents the sacrifices of God. It represents the Messiah who died for us. He says, what good is that to me? That says, you bring these burnt offerings, you bring these gifts to me, you bring this frankincense, you bring the sweet cane from a far country, you bring these sweet-smelling things to me. But they're not what I want. I don't, God doesn't want gifts. God wants us. He wants us to love him. He wants us to be surrendered to him. He wants us to give ourselves to him. 
so that he can remold us and make us into his image. Another big lie of the peace and safety when there's no peace. Another one that heals the hurt slightly when we're taught that we're, we're created in God's image. We're not in God's image. We're created in Satan's image. That's why we need to be born anew. That's why we need to be transformed. That's why we need to be changed. If we were in God's image, then we don't need to be changed. If we're in God's image, then there's no need for a law. There's no need for a savior. And thus there's no guilt. There's no confession of abomination. So we're taught a lie. So we live a carnal life, we have evil desires, and we're taught, well, we're in God's image. Well, if I'm in God's image and I have these evil desires, well, then those evil desires must have come from God. And so they must be good. You see how the reasoning just leads us to the way of destruction. And thus there's no conviction. And no need of the law, no need of the Savior. So he says, these are unacceptable to me. These are an abomination to me. If all we do is accept the, the, the sacrifice of the Messiah but reject his law, then it's all just an offering that's kind of a, just a payment. Would you, a teacher or a parent, accept a child who is in rebellion and who does horrible things? Or, or a spouse who, uh, who goes out and commits adultery and, but then brings you flowers. Would you accept the flowers? I don't want the flowers. I want you. I married you. Throw the flowers away and give me you, right? Child who's in rebellion who just gives you a little gift, gives you a crayon. I don't want the crayon. I want a child who loves me, a child who listens, a child who obeys, a child who acknowledges that, yeah, you're bigger than me, you're older than me, you know what's right. God is looking for a people who love him, not just burnt sacrifices, not just the throwing of the Messiah's death back in his face, but rejecting the Messiah's life in our life. That's another one of the peace and safeties. Just accept the Messiah's death. You don't have to change. Just accept his death. The whole purpose of his death was to change us, to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves. So if we reject the transformation he wants to do in our lives, then we're technically rejecting his sacrifice. We think his sacrifice is just a, a free pass into heaven without a transformation. That's what he says. They're not acceptable to me. They were just like treating it like indulgences. So I'll continue in sin and I'll just pay for it. So how much is this sin? Okay, I got enough. It's worth it. If I can do five of those for one of these, all right, I'll do that. Or I can do one of these for five of these. Fine, no problem. I'll just... Give you another sacrifice. I'll just say another prayer. But if there's no change, 
Again, how many times would you take a spouse back? All they do is bring you flowers. And every time they bring you flowers, you know what they did uh, yesterday. Flowers would be despised. And so if we think all we have to do is just keep on confessing and re-acknowledging the sacrifice of the Messiah, but not allow him to change us, it's an abomination to God. It's not acceptable to him. And we turn the Messiah's sacrifice and abuse it. We step all over it. Verse 22, the Lord says, a people come from a north country. A great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. They vo their voice roars like the sea. They ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. It's a warning. Babylon is coming. Revelation tells us the last day Babylon is coming as well. And we are living in these last days. Babylon is coming. People are coming from the north, from the farthest parts of the earth, cruel with no mercy. The devil and his evil angels are coming upon this earth. And destruction will take place in a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. We cannot fathom what that means when we think of the calamities that have happened in this world, and we have been so shielded from it, and it's going to be worse than anything this world has ever seen. We need to get ready. We need to hear the shofar. We need to hear the warning. We need to hear the call. We need to have our souls right with God. We need to have our sins forgiven. And our lives transformed now. Not when we're in trouble, not when we're in distress, not when we're being pressured, not when all the world is against us. Now is the time to get our lives right with God and be right with God and be filled with God's Spirit. Now is the time, like Jeremiah, be filled with the fury of the Lord and be weary of holding it in any longer. We need to warn the world of the calamity that's coming. Because it's coming swiftly. And now is the time to get ready. O oh, daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth, fasting and prayer, and roll about in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. This is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This is what it means. This is what this time is. This time of fasting, prayer, searching of heart, mourning, bitter lamentation. Verse 27, I have set you as an assayer, as a metal refiner, and a fortress among my people, that you may know and test their ways. He calls us to be refiners. He calls us to separate the dross from the metal so that the metal can be purified. He calls us to proclaim the truth, which will bring conviction, which will shed light on the sins, on the impurities in the metals. He calls us to be refiners. And now is the time. The last moments of earth's history, 
And we need to be ready and getting other people ready. We are in a serious, serious time. The most serious time of Earth's history. Rosh Hashanah is a serious holy day. It's a new year, but it's a serious time because it's the warning that Yom Kippur is right upon us. Now, after Yom Kippur is the time of rejoicing. Sukkot is the time of rejoicing. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is the time of preparation, hearing the shofar call. Allowing God to convict us. Turning from our sins. Turning to the Lord. And walking in his ways. And warning and telling others. So as we pray together, if you have any question in your mind or doubt in your mind of whether or not you are right with God. As we enter into this time of prayer, surrender all to him. If you haven't had a good dose of conviction in a while, maybe you've been listening to the lies of peace and safety that Satan has been whispering into your ears. You're okay, don't worry about it. don't feel there's any abomination. Say, no, I'm okay. Then we're not looking at the Lord. We're looking at something else. Might be looking at ourselves or other people, but if we are truly looking at the Lord, we will see ourselves in relation to him, and conviction will come. Lord, cleanse our hearts. As we pray, let's, in a moment when we pray, if that applies to you, Ask God to reveal himself to you. If you've been rejecting his law, resisting his law, we pray, I invite you to surrender to him. And ask him to write his law in your heart and mind. Allow him to show you how his law applies to your life. If you've just been offering up the sacrifice of Messiah as just a gift, as just a indulgence is just a, an excuse to continue in sin. It's just a patch, a band-aid over a bleeding heart. And you want to accept it as your own death. You want to accept his death as your death. His death as the death of your carnal heart and mind accept his new life. You've been resisting and rejecting his new life. He's been inviting you to walk in these ways and if you've been saying, no, I don't want to walk in that way. If you've been resisting his word, resisting his truth, resisting him, resisting his path, rejecting it, as we pray, surrender that to him. Say, Lord, I surrender to you. Give me your heart. Give me your way. You've been committing adultery on him, on God, and bringing him flowers. You want to repent of that and ask for a changed heart. For him to give you true love and a righteous life. Whatever part applies to you as we pray.
that God fill your heart and mind and work in your life. And if you don't have a burden for souls, if you're not weary of holding it in, if you walk past people and see people on TV or in the roads and you don't even care about their salvation, your neighbors, people at work, people at school, you're not filled with the fury of the Lord. You're not weary of not telling other people. And let's ask God to give us his spirit, his burden, and his passion. Any of those areas apply to you or something else God's been speaking to your heart about? As we pray, let God work his work in you. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your word and we are thankful for your spirit upon Jeremiah. We're thankful for the change that it made in Josiah, and we're thankful for the reforms that he made. Lord, use us in making reforms in this world. Make us refiners. Use us. Give us a burden and a passion for others, for the lost. Forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us for rejecting your law. Forgive us for using your sacrifice as, as flowers, as, as just a patch. Forgive us for abusing you. Forgive us for trampling over you and trampling over your law. Forgive us for rejecting you. Forgive us for listening to the lies of the peace and safety. Bring us conviction. Lead us to you. Take out our carnal hearts. Take out our resistance and our enmity against you. Place it in your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for dying for us. Thank you that you're alive and remain. Thank you for pouring your Holy Spirit upon us. Come inside us and live in us and out of us. And use us in warning this world. Being ready and getting others ready. In Yeshua's holy name.